it's amazing now how quickly you can get millions of people to see something. And so if you want to build a brand and you have a set of values and you have an idea, just talk about it and people will validate it or they'll tell you it's a bad idea. I'm Michael Gloucester and this is Fashion Cast. We're talking to fashion leaders and disruptors as we seek inspirational stories and expert insight into the world's most dynamic industry. Heard in over 70 countries, we're building an international fashion community based on fashion topics that matter. Please visit our website, fashioncast.co, to join our email list and learn more. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode of Fashion Cast, we introduce you to Christian Hansen, founder and CEO of Slow Gene Company, one of the fastest growing gene companies on the planet. Born in Canada, Christian attended the University of Pennsylvania, where he studied data analytics and climate science. Since 2018, Christian has founded multiple companies, including MNTN Co., a sustainable clothing and lifestyle brand, and Tira, a marketing agency. Christian began the Slow Gene Company idea on TikTok, where he has over 1 million followers and has received more than 30 million views. The company currently has a 100,000-person waitlist. Christian is joining FashionCast via Zoom from Montreal. Hi, Christian. Welcome to FashionCast. Uh, thanks very much for having me today. Can you please explain your background and how you chose sustainable fashion as a career? Sure. Um, yeah, so my background has always kind of just been in entrepreneurship. I'd always leaned into kind of the realm of fashion. Fashion was always something that I was very passionate about, but it seemed like an industry that was very antiquated and very broken and then the need, you know, in a need of innovation. And so, you know, when I was very young, that was really exciting. I've been screen printing t-shirts, you know, since I was like 12 years old. Um, and so, you know, that was my, my start and kind of my, my first step into the fashion industry. And as I got older and a little smarter and, you know, kind of went through school, I realized that this is an industry that's massive and unique and beautiful in its own way, but that there were so many problems with it. And so that was really what kind of inspired that first step into the direction, especially towards sustainability, because I strongly believe that that's the biggest issue with the industry right now. But you didn't know that or did you, before you went to the University of Pennsylvania, did you have fashion in the back of your mind or were you more climate science at that point? I was at that point, I was selling T-shirts to pay for school. And, you know, it was <laughs> okay. a matter of I was trying to buy like the most sustainable blank T-shirts I could buy. And then basically if there was anything that I could make a screen for that was like on campus or not or anything, it just print and sell for like 25 bucks in you know the dining hall that's what i was doing so that was basically the extent of fashion at the time um it really took until um i got my first kind of job in the industry which was basically like in sourcing and kind of an assistant in, in uh, going to visit factories and kind of help to audit factories that i really realized how badly the industry needed to change in that sustainability realm. And it kind of blended kind of both of my worlds together in a way. It's so Andy Warhol-ish, you know, <laughs> I was screening this and running here and doing the factory and all that. Yeah. That's cool though. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of a grassroots organic, you know, pathway into fashion, but 
I love this story, and I'm going to let you tell it for sure, but essentially you're based in Montreal, and there was a day that you decided to go, you know, vintage shopping and going to the thrift shops, and you stumbled upon this one shop, and you found some Calvin Klein jeans, vintage Calvin Klein jeans. And then what happened, Christian? Yeah, you know, we were in the middle of the pandemic. And so it was a time where you weren't allowed to try anything on and, you know, social distancing and all these kinds of things. And so it was like, oh, okay, I guess I have to buy these and hope they fit. And so I took them home and I threw them, you know, in my closet and I put them on the next day. And I was like, oh my God, these are women's jeans. And, <laughs> no way. You know, yeah. I'm, I didn't think that would ever happen. You know, I'm uh-huh. six foot three and I was, you know, that's wow. just not an instinct that you see a lot in women's fashion. Um, and so I just thought for certain they're absolutely men's jeans. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'm walking to the metro station and uh, I'm trying to put my phone in my pocket. And <laughs> there's no pocket. The pocket is like, <laughs> two inches deep. It's horrible. And at the time, um, I had like a hundred followers on TikTok. I was a complete nobody and I had no idea even how to really make them, but I just needed to rant to somebody. And so I was like, I'm just going to post this on the internet. I don't know why, but I just decided I would. And I posted it and I got on the train. And by the time I got to where I was going, I opened it up and I had like a hundred something thousand views. And I was like, wow, that was like 20 minutes. What's going on? And it backed up, you know, hundreds of thousands of views with all these women from all over the world pouring into the comments sections going, yeah, like, duh, that's what we live (laughs) every day. Like, it's horrible. And that was really the beginning of kind of an exploratory period where it was like, okay, why is this a thing? Why is the industry, you know, so ripe with inequality? And can we do something about it? Does someone want us to do something about it? And that was basically the beginning of slow. I got to see this TikTok video. I got to see this guy, 6'3". I should ask him to stand up. I don't, don't, you don't get the impression, you know, just because you're, you know, we're doing this on Zoom, that he's 6'3". I've seen you on other videos, but obviously. So then the other, that begs the question, you know, what woman was 6'3"? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Took her jeans there. Those are, yeah, that's a tall And what did you do? You just put them on in the video and you just, what did you do in the video? I don't know. I wonder how it caused so much attention. I didn't even say anything. I just Oh, you didn't even say anything? I, I said, this is an apology to all of the women in the world. If this is what you live with, this is horrible. <laughs> it's okay. Like, we have feel- handbags for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what people, you know, they ran to the comment sections and it's like, this is what we live with every day. And then everyone was like, show us the jeans, show us the jeans, show us the jeans. Oh. And so I made a video the next day actually showing people the jeans. You know, I stood back with the camera and I was like, were they skin the tight on you? They, you know, they were skinnier. I just thought they were skinny jeans. Uh-huh. And, you know, so I showed them and I compared them between, you know, my men's jeans of a similar cut. And so I was showing it. I couldn't even fit, you know, half my wallet in the women's jeans ones. And then I fit an entire wine bottle in the pocket of my men's jeans. <laughs> oh my and God. so I pulled out the wine <laughs> bottle funny. and I was like, that's the difference. And that video got several million views. Wow. Wow. At that point, it was like, okay, it's been 48 hours. Like three or four million people have now seen me pull things out of my pockets. What's happening? <laughs> like a magician. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so overnight, I went from like 100 followers to like almost 50,000. Wow, and then big. I was like, this might be a thing. Mm. And the rest is basically wow. that's been our journey. That pair of jeans changed his life. 
Yeah. Unbelievable. Best seven dollars I ever spent. Best yeah. seven dollars. Yeah. <laughs> One good thing that came out of COVID for you. Yeah. Because yeah, you yeah. weren't able to drive them on. That's a crazy exactly. story. The fact that you even found Calvin Klein jeans. I mean, you know, Calvin Klein jeans was really kind of an you know, an early 80s, late 70s. Yeah. Kind, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I remember wearing that many years ago. That's yeah. that's crazy. So <laughs> yeah. kudos to you, man. And then just, it, like what I said, because the story is so interesting and it, that's the happenstance part of the story. And then you've been able to kind of consolidate maybe your experience and background and then some of the comments. So I do like this this whole issue you've, have said, you know, do everything different from seeds in the ground to packaging to how the product arrives at the door. So that is that the is that essentially the mission of Slow Jeans Company or how did you get from all these comments to Slow Jeans Company to this kind of really environmental and almost circular kind of fashion mission? Yeah, you know, I, I was already running, um, you know, kind of a small sustainable fashion brand. And so I had my foot in the door with, you know, manufacturers around the world. And I had a pretty decent little connection network from having done, you know, some work in, in factory audits and things like that. And so I just made a phone call to a person I know who worked in denim. And I was like, hey, uh, if I wanted to make jeans, how would I go about doing that? And he was like, well, where would you like to make them? And I'm like, well, if I'm going to make them, I'm going to make them properly. Like I want to, I, I don't want to buy them as cheap as possible. I want to make the highest quality pair of jeans I can make. And I want to make them ethically and sustainably. And he said, well, then you're probably going to want to make them in Italy. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. And he's like, mm -hmm. okay, why don't you fly to Italy? I'll meet you in Italy. Oh. Okay, sure. <laughs> so, you know, hopped on a plane, went to Italy, met the guys, they showed me everything. I told them what I wanted to do. And basically I had asked people on the internet. I just said, Hey, uh, describe your dream jeans and I'll take in all the information and I'll work on it. And we got over 700,000 people who filled out our form. Is that crazy? And Unbelievable. Crazy. Just the, the scale of the internet at that point just absolutely blew my mind. And so we took all those, all that data and we broke it down and we turned it into a design and it took us about six months to go from asking that question to, you know, visiting the factories, getting things squared away, picking fabrics, making prototypes, samples, et cetera. And then, yeah, about six months later, we launched our first and we called it our soft launch because we were anticipating problems and you never made mm -hmm. jeans before. We were just coming out of COVID and uh, yeah, we we sold out in like the first twelve hours. It was just exploded. Um, Dude, so what was the first meant. order yeah. quantity? Uh, first order, we did about just shy of five thousand. And so, all your jeans are made in Italy now. Currently, yeah, they're wow. they. So they're the, the best like, quality. They, you know, we've tried to cut absolutely zero corners. You know, we're manufacturing using, you know, Italian, you know, Italian fabrics and things we source locally. Our factory there is fourth generation family factory. Um, you know, everything that we, we did, you know, I wanted it to be that we were doing it to the best of our ability and we were doing it for the best, you know, for the planet and for the people, you know, so there was no exploitation at any step. And we knew that what we were producing, you know, that we wanted to call slow fashion and we wanted to call sustainable actually was sustainable. So, but the average price, if I'm looking on the website, is, it's, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like $99, which Correct. is That's incredibly very reasonable. I mean, 
I'm like, how is he doing yeah, that, Yeah, I see man? jeans for 250 300 and they're not even that great. And I'm sure they're not made in Italy. That's well, for yeah, sure. Some, well, I have to... I have to <laughs> then it's fast fashion speak, and not sustainable. Speak truth to power. But yeah, <laughs> some are made here in Detroit that are uh-huh. like 275 a pair, you yep. know? So we're talking 99 That's incredible. So... Are the pockets big enough? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> they are. That's the signature. Can, you put, can I put my wine bottle in there? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That I'll was try the, next that time. That was literally the measurement tool for designing the pocket. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So, but you had this Mountain Co., which is my yes. company, and that was sustainable fashion already, right? So what Correct. were they producing? What what And are they still producing? So... Mountain kind of became slow. We were working on that project and our goal was to try and basically just create, you know, basics. At the time we were just making t-shirts, we were working on very basic outfits and things like that, uh, all made in Portugal with some really amazing sustainable manufacturers there. Uh, But we weren't doing denim. We hadn't stepped into that arena. And so when we kind of moved into that world, which, you know, it's, it's, it's very much its own industry, or at least it's sub industry within fashion, we said, okay, let's, let's have a fresh start and let's start a new brand. Let's, let's take, you know, this TikTok movement that we've created and, and turn it into something. So basically uh, mountain ended up just kind of dissolving into slow um, and kind of that's, that's the same team from mountain pretty much carried over and we've just continued to work together. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. So you're making women's and men's jeans now? So we don't gender the product because it's just based on measurements. So uh, we collect your measurements and we basically recommend sizes. And we have such a large size set that the goal is basically not to tell you that there are men's or women's patterns. Mm. It really doesn't matter. Um, so if your waist size is your waist size, your hip size is your hip size, I don't particularly care if you're male or female. Mm-hmm. The reality is to make you a pair of jeans that fits. And so the goal was not to ever segregate by gender. It's just give me your measurements, tell me what you want, and I'll make them for you. Mm. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about sizing here in just a little bit. So yeah, so let's talk more specifically about the company. Uh, You are a sustainable fashion company. Can you uh, give us your environmental objectives? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's always a work in progress. You know, I think any sustainable company that, you know, is ever satisfied with where they are, that's a problem in itself. You know, we need to be constantly evolving as, as technology advances and as things advance. You know, right now where we're at is trying to largely, you know, the majority of our effort is on the human side of things. It's to try and ensure that, you know, there's zero exploitation in our supply chain. That's the first thing because sustainable fashion is one of the most damaging thing to women and children around the world. The mm-hmm. amount of factories that I was physically in, in some of these different, you know, super rural areas of different developing nations around the world where the people behind the sewing machines, you know, putting together these fast fashion clothing, like it made me want to cry. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Just like women, children, just unbelievably horrid, like horrible conditions, just horrendous. And so we set out first and foremost to ensure that that would never, ever be a thing with what we did. And so that's like, first and foremost is the human side of things. There's no such thing as sustainable fashion if you're exploiting people. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves is you'll walk into a fast fashion store and they'll be like, well, we use, you know, BCI certified cotton. So we're sustainable. And it's like, yeah, but you pay 25 cents an hour to a bunch of people locked in a sweatshop in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. How is that sustainable? Yeah, literally locked in, literally locked in. Literally. 
Yeah. And so, you know, first and foremost is the human aspect. And then secondly, it comes down to sourcing, sourcing of fabrics and materials, cotton, ensuring that the entire supply chain that we understand and we know, you know, where everything is coming from, who it's coming from. So we try to source everything locally in Italy from trusted sources. And then it's just the extras, you know, trying to ensure that there's no plastic in the supply chain. We use sustainable, uh, biodegradable, you know, plastic alternatives everywhere from packaging through even in the factory, moving things from, you know, the cutting to sewing factory. A lot of brands just throw things in plastic bags. We tell them they can't do that. And, you know, we've just tried to inject sustainable practices everywhere we can. And we have a great partnership with a fantastic organization called One Tribe. And they're our carbon offsetting partner. And they have a really amazing philosophy that I really respect. It's they think the whole tree planting thing that a lot of brands do, or they say, you know, we'll buy it, you know, buy a t-shirt and we'll plant 10 trees. The reality is that those little saplings that they plant, the majority of them don't ever make it to maturity. And it takes 20 to 30 years for them really to be making any sort of dent in the carbon offsetting that they're supposed to be doing. And so what one tribe does is they buy land in different countries around the world that's up for sale for things like logging and mining and other things. And they just protect the lands and they don't let them basically be turned into oh, logging. Cool. You know, like they, and yeah. so their philosophy is why would we cut down the 300 year old trees in the Amazon and plant new ones when we can just leave the ones that are already in the ground? Yeah, that's and way so, more productive, obviously. Exactly. Where are they located? What What country are they in? So they're from the UK, but the majority of their work that they do is in South America. Okay, because we can um, we can link to them on the show notes for sure. One tribe. That's Definitely. really cool. Have you heard of Genealogia? Have you heard of Recover and some of the things that they're doing out of Spain? It's I mean they're really cutting edge too. I I kind of once I saw Slow Gene Co. I I mean that just turned on in my head right away, those two companies. But are you familiar with what they're doing too? I am. I'm actually in the process of trying to buy some of their machines. No <laughs> way. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Maybe world. we can get them a deal. We'll have ah, to have a connect with that Alex. That would be very ideal. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna yeah, to... we're, we're in the process of building our own manufacturing facility. And uh, one of the main things we want to do is to basically try and create the, the cleanest washing process possible because washing is the most damaging yep. part of the gene production process. This is where you come in, Christine. <laughs> How much yeah. water is used through the genealogia process? Twenty-five gallons, I believe. No, it's was <laughs> it was it. He got it. They got it down to like one cup. Oh, but uh, normally it's a. I think they said twenty-five gallons of water. But I'm curious to know where are you going to have? Uh, where are you going to manufacture or you, your facility? Where is it going to be? So the goal is to build it in India. India. Um, okay. So I've actually just come back from a trip recently um, in India. Um, India to me, it's, it's, it's a place full of misconceptions in the Mm -hmm. sense that, you know, a lot of people look at India and they'd be like, well, that's, you're just, you're just trying to run the fast fashion playbook. And the reality is that it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go to India and you go there searching for low, you know, low cost manufacturing, you're going to find it and you're going to find cheap, you know, probably pretty horrible genes that come out as a result from some pretty horrible places. But the reality is that India is actually probably on the forefront of sustainability and fashion in the entire world. These guys waste nothing in terms mm-hmm. of circ- circularity. They take scrap material and turn it into new material better than anybody on earth. Hmm. And because there's so many people in that country, they don't waste anything. That's true. And not, 
you know, not to mention that their labor force, if you pay people and take care of people and you have access to talent that we're talking multi, multi, multi generations of garment workers, kings and queens for thousands of years have been having things made in India. And, you know, so if you go there to exploit the labor for labor force, you can do that. But if you go there and say, hey, we're paying well, we're insuring, we've got fantastic work environment, we're working on this thing, and we're trying to build the world's most ethical and sustainable factory, come and work for us. You literally will fill this factory with some of the top garment workers in the entire world. And that's really what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, that's cool, too. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And if you have the genealogia equipment in there. <laughs> yeah, you're ready to go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. So this is this slow fashion revolution, and there's a number of a number of companies that are participating. I think, I think of Patagonia. I like the whole fact that you can, you know, return the garment; they can repair it. You know, don't don't even recycle. The, you know, you can just return it to them; they'll take care of it. Is that something down the line for slow jeans? Are you guys thinking along the Patagonia lines too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, circularity is incredibly important. You know, end of life is probably one of the most damaging parts of the process in terms of you actually calculate just the carbon. If you want to say do carbon offsetting, end of life is almost always one of the highest calculations. And so circularity is something that we definitely want to figure out in the future, especially with stretch denim, because stretch denim almost always contains some form of elastane, even if it's sustainable, which is still plastic. So you don't want those genes to just end up in a landfill. You're just putting plastic in the ground. So it is definitely part of what we want to do. Um, We are looking to kind of expand into kind of a a new kind of futuristic retail model in some department stores and things like that. So uh, we are looking into options for for repairs or options for circularity where you can give them back to us and we'll turn them into something else. And that's another part of the reason we want to work with India is they're really, really good at finding use cases for, you know, old textiles and they don't take uh, textile waste and just throw it in a landfill they do something with it. And so that's, that is something that we're working on right now actively. Yeah. And that's what recover does too. I mean, they'll just take any kind of textile and they'll either figure out how to upcycle or recycle. Yeah. It's amazing. They've got an amazing system too. None of these things are cheap, but so, you know, it's not day one from day one. So explain a little bit about, you talked about sourcing. So 98% of the cotton is better cotton initiative Two percent is recycled. Can you explain for you know the audience that is not familiar with this the BCI, the Better Cotton Initiative, how that works, how they source the cotton, how you know for you it's really a, a proof positive. You know, here's where we got it. They did the due diligence, that kind of thing. So, can you explain a little bit about this BCI? Sure. Yeah, BCI. It's slightly controversial in some ways because some people think that it's a little too easy to acquire. Um, but the reality is that their, their vetting process is it largely is to do with how the cotton is grown. And so when it, when it actually gets turned into textiles, that BCI certification does carry over. So the reason that it is controversial in some ways, which is people Google BCI cotton and sometimes they'll see like a oh, controversy about it. Is because it's not tracked from end to end in the sense that you could go and use a really horrible dye on that really great cotton and it still turns into not really being a super sustainable material, but it's, it's the ground zero. And so BCI means that basically it's grown in a way 
and it's grown in a place that isn't exploiting cotton farmers and that they're using reduced pesticides and things like that. So the idea is that the BCI network, they, they source uh, directly from where they're literally putting the seeds in the ground. And then they ensure that from the time that that cotton is grown to the time that that cotton leaves the farm itself, that everyone is being paid a fair wage and that the entire part is ethical there. What happens after the fact that's where we had to be very, very sure and very, very certain about who we were working with. What do they actually do in the processing, which is why we've sourced out of Italy, because we're very confident. I've been to the mill myself. I've seen how that process works. But the uh, the BCI certification is, is a really good standard for the cotton itself. Um, we always try to look for like two or three times certification. So we have other certifications for our organic fabrics. Um, GOTS is another one, the Global Organic Textile Standard. Um, Blue Sign is a really fantastic one for dyeing and, and those um, types of processes. So the more certifications you can see on a product, the better. Uh, but the reality is they usually only correspond with one portion of the process. Yeah, and there's a huge area, and you probably know, within southern Texas that grows a huge amount of the organic cotton in the world. I mean, that's just what they're known for. So that's pretty interesting from a U.S. standpoint. As long as it's not coming from Xinjiang, China, <laughs> you know, that's that's obviously a big problem. But and and that's what I guess I was kind of asking. They're sourcing, and it's not coming from those kind of areas. I'm I'm assuming, or am I assuming, or I can't assume that it can come from anywhere. Um, so the the BCI the BCI cotton, um, a lot of it comes from West Africa. Um, a lot of it comes from India. Um, India is one of the largest producers of cotton. Have fantastic sure. yeah. um, rainy rainy. Portion, uh, portion of the country that it like thrives at perfect temperature. It's super wet. And uh, as a result, it's quite sustainable because they don't actually have to water the cotton, especially during monsoon season where they get a lot of rainfall. Um, so it, BCI cotton can come from everywhere. Um, the U.S. cotton actually has its own certification system. And so you'll see you'll see like USDA, um, you know, organic, the equivalent like in food. They have a version for for it in cotton as well. Uh, there's also various different species of cotton. And so the ones that we grow in North America are a little bit different than the ones that are grown in places like Egypt and West Africa and India. And they're used for different things. The best denim cotton, in my opinion, is coming out of India. We will be right back with Christian Hansen Slow Gene Company after this word from Omay Organics. Hi, I'm Christine. You may know me as co-host of FashionCast, but I'm also the founder and CEO of Omay Organics. I believe skincare should be simple. Our hyaluronic cream is all you need to nourish your skin morning and night. Sourced from the highest quality organic ingredients from around the world and manufactured in an FDA facility right here in the USA, this incredible cream works to firm, deeply moisturize, and smooth the appearance of your skin. Please visit omayorganics.com and use promo code FASHIONCAST to receive a 15% discount off your first purchase, and you will receive our monthly newsletter free. Now, back to the show. I wanted to ask you about WeFunder, so the crowdfunding platform. You seem to have done very well on that platform. Can you briefly explain how that platform works? Yeah, sure. Uh, WeFunder 
it, it is an amazing platform. Uh, you know, over the last few years, there's been some huge, you know, strides in equity crowdfunding, which is what WeFunder does. And what it essentially means is that anybody can buy shares in private companies, which previously was a thing that was reserved for angel investors and, you know, venture capital firms. And it was a rather tricky, you know, place for the average retail investor to access. And so what WeFunder has done is we're trying to democratize that, you know, startup investing that a lot of these VCs do. And so you can post your company on WeFunder, which is what we did. And you can say, hey, this is what we think we're worth. This is what we want to sell shares at. If you also think that's what we're worth and you would like to buy some shares, you can buy them and you can invest in you know, as little as $100. And so it's a really accessible way for anybody who supports an idea or a vision or even an established company to come in and invest their money in that company's success. And so we had had this massive social media movement and we needed money. And so we started reaching out to investors, kind of more traditional investors and realized, wait, we have this community. Why don't we try and you know build this from the community? And so we posted on WeFunder and basically, yeah, we raised $300,000 um, just over a couple of months. And that was wow. really the, the pre-seed you know, capital that we needed to really move things to the next level. So are you still on WeFunder or do you just have regular revenue or both? So we're about to go back on WeFunder for another investment round. We're about to start raising to build this factory project. And so we're doing a split between uh, WeFunder and we are also looking for traditional investors because we're looking to raise you know, over a million dollars. So uh, WeFunder is pretty solid for kind of some smaller raises. And we want to give everyone who wants an opportunity to own a piece of the company to have that opportunity. But at the same time, we do need a pretty substantial amount of money. So a little bit of both, but uh, WeFunder typically works in rounds. So yeah. you'll fill the round and then you're off and then you come back if you need to fill another round. So you got your seed round, the funding, now you're in your series A round? We did our pre-seed with oh, WeFunder. Pre um, and now we're looking to raise our, our first, our seed round. Seed round, I see. Yeah. There's a lot to learn because I thought about going on WeFunder as well. Yeah, it's it's a really really excellent platform, and the company they're they're amazing. They're really really great. Um, you know, people actually behind the platform. They're very very you know easy to work with, and mm -hmm. they made the process super easy. Yeah, we did meet a couple of the guys that work for the company. Very nice. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's the king of crowdfunding platforms. If so, if you're going to go on anyone, that seems to be the one to to participate. The most popular one. Yeah. So yeah, and I. I as I recall, um, you guys did a great job with the website, um, with the WeFunder website, and your own website is really, really well put together. Um, it's something that keeps you on the website. I don't know if you, I'm sure that was done deliberately, but um, it's a it's a great website for that reason alone because it keeps the potential client customer there. Let's talk a little bit about you know, the sizing technology that you have on the website and how did you come up with that? And I also understand that you're more than willing just to, you know, give away the the technology. I don't know if it's patented or not or if there's patents pending, but you're kind of indifferent to that. And maybe you can explain a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, sizing for me is one of the largest issues in the fashion industry period. Uh, the reality is that everything now is about standardization and mass production. And so these fast fashion companies, 
you know, that their, their model is let's produce as few things as possible and make as many of them as possible and try and sell as many of them as possible. And if we don't, we just get rid of them. And that was probably the, you could not write, you know, a more, you know, antithesis to what I wanted to do. And so what we set out to do is have a size for as many people as possible. We're a fast fashion size sets for jeans. There's an average of about 10 sizes. We're trying to offer about 200. And so the goal is really that jeans work on ratios. And so what we've developed are algorithms that take people's measurements. And so some of the ratios, for example, like a hip to waist ratio. So that is what a lot of companies like to call like a curvy fit. It's really not. It's literally just somebody whose hips to waist ratio is larger. Now, there are some people that are shaped differently and their hips and their waist are the same size. Those people need different jeans. Those people need different pants. They need different clothes. That's not going to make them feel good if they're put in the same clothing. And that's what fast fashion tries to do is basically put everybody in the same in the same pattern. So what we've set out to do and what we've set out to develop is basically a matching algorithm. You come onto our website and you give me your measurements and we match you to a size. And so we can't do every single pair completely custom or else we would never be able to offer them at $99. But what we can do is have a super massive size set of all of these different ratios and options. And then you give me your measurements, I match you to the closest one possible. And for about 97% of the people that are coming on our website, we have an exact match. For everybody else, we're basically within about an inch. And so the goal is to try and give that experience so that the fit is perfect and that we have that opportunity to ensure that they're not being returned because they don't fit. They The, the garment will last longer if it fits properly and it contributes to the sustainability of it as well. I always have a hard time finding the right jeans for me. Always. It's, it's not easy to find jeans, but I'm definitely going to give you my measurements and try yours out for sure. Please. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and just reducing the returns, the number of returns, that's got to increase your revenues, decrease your costs. I mean, that's very attractive from an investment standpoint too. So how many points of measurement are there, you know, typically versus how many you're taking? So most uh, size sets are built on really just like two, you know, they'll take a waist measurement and they'll take a hip measurement and most fast fashion companies right now they have one length you know and they the standardized length will change based on the waist and so a lot of people who are shorter or taller struggle because they're either too long or too short we collect 90 measurements from two photographs and so you come on and you use our 3d sizing tool we take a front facing and a side profile and we create a 3d wireframe of your body and that 3d wireframe gives us the exact measurements at 90 points and so we use just over 20 of them to do the calculations for sizing and that's basically the rest of them you know some of them are upper body measurements and things like that we're storing them for the future uh, only the numbers of course never the photographs uh, so that we can continue to develop that size set out um, but really it's it's a constantly evolving process and the technology is just getting better and better thanks to smartphones because the you know about five even five years ago Smartphones didn't have what we call LiDAR sensors. And LiDAR is what basically allows, you know, measurement tools. Maybe you see it on the iPhone where you can now measure things, you know, like in your own home. And so all new smartphones now have these fantastic, you know, ever advancing LiDAR sensors. And we can use those to basically scan people's body with more accuracy. 
Are you checking your phone? No. <laughs> Check your phone. See if that's true. No. Yeah. I know it is on your I'm phone. Fa- I'm fact checking you. I'm yeah. just kidding. No. Sure. I'm just joking. No. The, I was looking. No, I was just thinking about your name, the slow, the logo, the O, how it has a line in it. Yeah. I was just wondering what made you sure. want to put that uh, line in the O. I was thinking, because is it like Norwegian or... Don't they? It, it it's it's Scandinavian. So yeah, yeah, my yeah I was right. I was yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're Scandinavian, we like, or probably ancestors. Originally, yeah. I so knew my, it. I knew. My family is but from that's Denmark. Awesome. Oh, Denmark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where you got that slow with the line. Okay, that's so cool. And so the idea is, you know, we use it in our marketing as well because it's also, you know, like the scientific like null sign for neutral. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are carbon neutral. And so the, the logo also has the null in it. And that gives us kind of, it's kind of a double marketing. It's kind of a nod to Scandinavia, which is yeah. where I'm from. Yep, I and figured also, it, yeah. Just you know, from your logo. The, yeah, you know, yeah. They, they... I put two and two together. I was thinking, oh, he must be Nor- uh, Norwegian or Scandinavian, yeah. And we, we draw a lot of inspiration from their sustainability practices. Um, you know, uh, Scandinavia is probably the world's leader in sustainable True. living. Um, and so it kind of just all merged together and we are the antithesis of fast. And Oh, so yeah. Are... And yeah, that's so smart. Yeah, I love it. Where, I uh, love it. Yeah, yeah, you're doing so well. Well, Copenhagen and the global fashion agenda and yeah. all, all that stuff, they're, they're really on the forefront of all of this. Um, so what markets has slow gene company gained the most traction in? You know, there's hundreds of millions of genes sold across the world every year. And so it's a pretty big market, pretty wide open. It seems like a lot of companies have and can enter the market. But where have you guys think you've found, you know, um, pay dirt? Yeah, you're totally right. It's a huge market. You know, by 2030, the estimate is it'll be over a hundred billion dollar a year market worldwide. And we're producing about three and a half billion pairs annually right now, um, collectively around the world. It's unbelievable how fast, you know, it's 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 growing. It's it's largely considered the the most popular clothing item on earth. Um, so the market is huge. And for us, we, we found, you know, we found a home in multiple segments of the market and they came to us with TikTok. you know, so we find, you know, a lot of people coming to us who just really struggle finding jeans. Maybe their, you know, proportions are different than that of, you know, the fast fashion industry, or maybe they're too small or too large for standard size sets. Standard size set actually fall, you know, falls shorter than the average size woman in America. It's unbelievable. So the average size woman right now from the most recent um, data uh, is just shy of a size 16, 14, 16. And most of the fast fashion size sets will end at 14. And so there's lots of people that quite literally do not have an option on the market. Those people come to us. We also have people who really resonate with the fact that we don't gender our clothing. And so people who, you know, they consider themselves or they, they identify as gender non-binary or transgender, or they just don't care. And so they don't want to shop from brands that are segregated by men's or women's or by any form of stereotypical cuts that women want or stereotypical cuts that men's want. So they, they come to us. And then we also have our sustainability people who are here because they're looking for accessible, sustainable, you know, clothing. And that was why our price point is at $99 because, you know, I am Gen Z and, you know, I can't afford any of the other brands. 
And so, you know, I want to be buying better clothes and I wanted to be buying better clothes when I was in university. It was like, okay, I need jeans, but I have $50. What do I do with that? And that's the big problem is that we have this massive generation of really educated, really smart young people who want to buy sustainable things that last, but we're, they don't have $275 to buy jeans. And so the goal was to try and come in at a price point that was accessible for everybody because accessibility is sustainability. And so, yeah, those, those are probably the primary markets right now that we're serving and we love it. You know, they grow at their own pace on, on social media and every now and then all of a sudden we have a new market and you know, that's modern marketing. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that answer. That's, that's the perfect answer. I'm, I get real concerned about the whole sustainability issue in fashion because there's so much greenwashing going on. So talk a little bit about the greenwashing and what's going on and some of these other companies that want to join in in terms of what you're doing and they want to present themselves as if they're at the sustainability party, but they have no intent of being there, but they feel like they have to, you know, show that message and attract that type of customer, even if they historically have not done that and can't really do that. It's it, And so then you buttress up against this greenwashing issue. So can you address some of that? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, to me, it's a misalignment of values and you see it very clearly in a lot of brands. The marketing department has a set of values and the product department and the executive department have different values. And any company whose primary value is money right now is contributing to greenwashing in one way or another, because the reality is that becoming a sustainable brand is expensive and it's always going to be more expensive than doing it the conventional way. The reality is that there are limits on how much these different things cost. And the question is how high are you willing to go? And, you know, the pair of jeans that's being sold by luxury brands, like let's just say like Louis Vuitton or these other people, they're perfectly sustainable. They're selling it for $2,000 a pair. They manufacture them for less than 50. And you know, that's branding. That's a different story. But that's the other reality is that you can only get so expensive. I can buy the world's most expensive denim from Japan, you know, hand-dyed indigo for $13, $14 a yard. I can make a pair of jeans for a yard and a half, you know, add in the best labor you can possibly get. You're maybe $50, $60. That same pair of jeans these brands are trying to sell for four, five, six hundred dollars because it's sustainable. That in itself, to me, is just that is that mismatch of values. There are brands out there that the primary, most important thing to them is ensuring that the product is amazing quality. It doesn't exploit people and it doesn't exploit the earth. And that's where you'll see their pricing. You'll see their pricing in a range that's actually accessible for people. But then there are the brands that they're just using it as a way to drive up margins. Those are the people that to me are giving brands like us, you know, a bad name. And it's, it makes it really, really challenging to live and interact in that, in that same segment of the market. When some of us are here to try and fix things and make the industry better. And some people are here to just improve their margins. Right. And it's a huge black eye for the fashion industry, which look, I get it. It's, I, it's an international industry. It's, it's very, very large, uh, 1.7 trillion, whatever in sales and with zero leadership, you know, you know, who's driving the bus kind of thing. So yeah, you really swerved into something that's, um, I think important to us and it has been on the show. Um, but 
kind of wrapping this conversation up, what advice would you give, you know, just the would-be fashion entrepreneurs that are interested in building a community, building sustainability, you know, doing it kind of the slow gene company way? Um, Because as you just mentioned, it's not easy. So are are there any tidbits of advice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me, it's it build community first. So we live in an amazing time where ideas can flourish and you will find people that simply are excited by your idea, even if it's a sketch on paper. And we've never had platforms as powerful as TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, where you can just put an idea out there and the next day, 5 million people have seen it. You used to have to pay for that traffic. That used to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising that it would take or billboards, literally like, you know, you have to go and (laughs) find someone to print something. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing now how quickly you can get millions of people to see something. And so if you want to build a brand and you have a set of values and you have an idea, just talk about it and people will validate it or they'll tell you it's a bad idea. And, you know, that's that's kind of the second point is like build a feedback loop. Just ask people, ask questions. What do you think about this? People will tell you, people love telling you their opinion. (laughs) Especially when they can hide behind an you know an anonymous profile, That's a good you're not going to always love. It feels the good for them to be a part of something as well, like you said, a part right. of a co- community. Agreed, and yeah. you know that's what we've really managed to do is kind of a David versus Goliath situation where people want to engage with our content and engage with what we're doing because they feel like we're fighting fast fashion or fighting this this big bad. They're a wolf part of something is- big, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, my advice would be find your people and don't be afraid to post if you don't have something. A lot of people think they need beautiful salesman samples with like tags and, you know, all these different things to like before they should post anything. And okay, I'll make my product and then I'll make my social media account. Don't do that. Start Start posting. Start with your ideas. Start with your sketches. Buy a sewing machine. Google it on YouTube. You know, screen print your T-shirts just get started. It's never been easier to get started and then use that traction to scale. And that's the direction that, you know, businesses are moving. And that's the direction that the industry, I think, is moving. And we've been really fortunate to have success doing that. Perfect. That's a beautiful answer. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. It seems to me, David, which is in this, in this particular interview, Christian Hansen is going to win. He's going to beat Goliath. <laughs> Goliath, yeah. Yes, I know yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah, especially with that Thank big you. community. Yeah. Christian Hansen, it's been a complete honor and pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much for appearing on Fashion Cast. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to Fashion Cast. To hear more shows and join our email list, please visit our website, fashioncast.com. You can also join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Until next time, I'm Michael Gloucester for FashionCast, the voice of fashion.